All right. So it's always a privilege to be able to share uh, God's word with you guys. Um, before we start, I want to do a little sharing activity. If you could turn to your neighbor and share, what are you, where is your favorite fast food restaurant? Or what is your favorite fast food restaurant? And what do you order there? What do you get there? In and out, most people, in and out. That's kind of the, is that what a, McDonald's, anyone? Taco Bell? Yeah, yeah well, I, <clears throat> I had a hard time choosing, so there's three that I like. Uh, Taco Bell, tops the list. Uh, I, I love uh, the Mexican pizza, and I get the uh, Taco Supremes and a Mountain Dew Baja Blast. If you guys know what that is, that is delicious, but you get wired after. Um, Del Taco, I get uh, chicken, sand, uh, chicken tacos, two chicken soft tacos, with uh, deluxe chili cheddar cheese fries. Yes, it's amazing. McDonald's, uh, we, we, I get, uh, I guess I kind of share it, but we, we get 10-piece chicken nuggets uh, with a Big Mac. Well, Jenna will get her own Big Mac. And uh, we get fries, um, well, she'll get her own fries, and uh, a sweet tea. And two barbecues, one sweet and sour, one hot mustard, right? So one day, you know, I love fast food. This is what I've grown with uh, for, the, for my entire life. But one day, my wife, you know, she's like, you know, we need to start eating healthy, you know, for my health. You know, you need to stop eating all this fast food. And so we're out, we're driving, trying to figure out what should we eat? What kind of healthy food should we eat? And we're going through the process of listing locations. And, you know, it's one of those things, you know how it is, like, oh, where do you want to eat? I don't know where you want to eat. I don't know where you want to eat. Uh, and so I suggest, I say, okay, well, something healthy. You know, what about Yoshinoya? Right? And she's like, what? And she was borderline, like, she was about to get mad, right? She was like, how is Yoshinoya healthy, right? Doesn't make any sense. But for me, I was like, you know, it's got veggies, it's got rice, and it's got meat, right? How, how is that not healthy, right? I, it, didn't, I didn't, it didn't register to me that, you know, it could potentially be unhealthy. And so, you know, we had a discussion uh, during that time about what, how unhealthy Yoshinoya was. But the reason why I share this story, I, I promise it'll somehow relate to my sermon, is that, you know, this summer we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we're talking about uh, Jesus' sermon uh, to these Jewish people. And in this sermon, what he's doing is he's sharing these new values, these new kingdom values. You know, just like for myself, when I got married, I had to learn that there was a new set of values and principles by which I had to live by, one of which was Yoshinoya is not healthy food, and it's in the bad food category. These people now are learning through Jesus how in the new kingdom we are supposed to live and conduct our lives, right? So there are different values to be had, different principles to operate by, one of which is how we treat one another, right? And so we see that in Matthew chapter 5, what we just read in 43 to 44. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, you have heard before, the way you operated before was love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But now I tell you this, you need to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Now, for the Jewish audience who is listening to this, this comes as an absolute shock. This, this just boggles their mind. Their mind is just like, poof, right? Because for 1,500 years, this is not how they had operated. From the time of Moses, when they had freed them from Egypt and taken them through the Red Sea and gone to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, which actually is more close to 613 commandments, but the Ten Commandments were the most famous ones, they had learned something else. And it came from a passage in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It said this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay? Let's look at this verse one more time. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you... What they heard from this verse is that when someone wrongs you, do not take vengeance on your own people. Love your, love your neighbor. And what they heard is that their own people, their own ethnic you know, Jewish people, they said, don't take vengeance on them. Don't, don't hurt them, but you need to love your neighbor. And that's how they understood it. Now, the subtle converse implication is that anyone outside of that circle, they are not your neighbor. So it doesn't matter how you treat them, right? There's a Jewish teaching, as a quote, it says, if a Jew sees that a Gentile has fallen into the sea, do, let him by no means lift him out. Of course it is written, do not rise up against your neighbor's life, but this man is not your neighbor, right? That's how they understood it. 1,500 years ago, before Jesus says this, they're like, these people are my neighbors, so I don't have to love them. All I have to make sure is I love these people. And these people around, I just have to ignore them or, you know, just cast them off or don't worry about them. And from then on, from 1,500 years ago, from Moses until the time of Jesus, from generation to generation, almost like a bad, twisted game of, Telephone, you know the telephone where one says someone says something, it just gets more and more confusing because the words were not heard correctly, and then all of a sudden at the very end it comes out completely wrong. So it starts off with them understanding that neighbor is just my people and ignoring everyone else, to the point where later on the, in the next generation it start, they start to say, you know what, these Gentiles they don't keep the same purity laws as us. They're not clean. In fact, they had a nickname for them. They called them dogs. They were vile, and they would not associate with them because they were unclean. And so it goes from ignoring them to hating or to uh, calling them dogs and insulting them. And then it got to a point where Jesus is at today where they hated them. And, you know, for us, we might think, oh, man, why are the Jews so hateful? But, you know, I think we have to understand a little bit of their history. 
from when they were in Egypt and they were enslaved by the Egyptians and oppressed and then they had a moment of freedom and then they were taken over by the Syrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persians and the Greeks and now in Jesus' time, the Romans. And in each of those moments, they are either enslaved or oppressed and looked down on and they are the lower strong of society. And each of those moments, and so they create this hatred towards their oppressors. So much so that even half-Jews, you know, people who uh, were Jewish but married a non-Jew, you know, they were called Samaritans, right? They, they hated them too, and they thought they were unclean, they were vile. They had this hatred towards all of these other uh, groups. You know, in Jesus' time, at the very end, you know, when the Jews are, the Israelites are looking for the Messiah, they're looking for a Messiah that would be a power, right? That would overthrow the Roman government. They wanted to take over Rome and say, hey, our Messiah is here and now you're going to be destroyed. They wanted to forcefully take over Rome. It wasn't this nice, you know, the Messiah is coming and saving everyone. That's not the understanding that they had. But they had this hatred in their heart. They said, we're going to destroy you guys. And so 1,500 years, they had this sense of the word of God teaches us that we are to love one another, love our neighbors, but everyone around us hate them because they're oppressive. We're called to hate them. And so when Jesus, who some people think this might be the Messiah, is telling them, you need to love your enemies, this comes as a complete Shock! How could Jesus, who could be the Messiah, be telling us to love people who are so unholy, who are so defiled, who are so not like us, who hate us and oppress us? And it was so radical. <clears throat> you know, for us in the church, when we hear this command, it, we almost hear it without even skipping a beat because those of us who have grown up in the church, we've heard this so many times. Yeah, of course, we're supposed to love our enemies and love those who persecute us and and we think it's such a common command that we don't even think, uh, we don't even skip a beat. But I think it's just as difficult today to live this out as it was back 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. You know, I think we're similar to the Israelites, right? Where it's easy to love the people who are in our circle, right? Our friends, our family, people who are in our tribe, right? Who ha share the same values as us. It's easy to sacrifice for them. It's easy to give of ourselves and to serve them and to love them, right? But what about the people who are outside of us? You know, I think when we think of this passage and we say, you know, you need to love your enemies and you, know, you, you shouldn't hate them, I feel like sometimes we could be disconnected from that commandment. Uh, and what I mean by that is, when we think of the word enemy, I don't think a lot of people, I don't know, maybe some of you guys have enemies in your life, but we, we don't really classify people in our lives as enemies, right? Like, it's more of like a comic thing or a movie thing where this arch nemesis, he's the enemy of my life and I hate this person. That's kind of how we look at it, right? Whereas here, we, we wouldn't really call people enemies, and so we think, well, I don't have enemies, you know? It's, so this passage is, 
I'm obeying it, you know, it's good. Or we think, I don't want to hate anybody, right? You know, especially in this political climate, for us to say I hate somebody or hate some people, it's, that's so politically incorrect. And so even to use the word hate, uh, it's, it, it's not really in our vocabulary. Uh, and so maybe we might feel disconnected from this command. But I think we do encounter this, you know, because that enemy could be uh, a friend that always gossips and talks behind your back and you don't want to have anything to do with them and so you keep them in your outer circle. Or it could be the churchy person who judges you and uh, about how you raise your family or how you live your life and how you should be dating or how you should not be dating or how you should do X, Y, and Z and you're just like, this person I need to keep out of my circle, right? Or, or the driver on the freeway who cuts us off and you want to hate them. Or the boss who always seems like they're picking on you even though you did nothing wrong. Or maybe you're the boss and you have that employee who just does enough to get his paycheck and you feel like he's not working to stick it to you. Or you have the family member who's just always asking you for money, right? You would never say, I hate these people but there's something about them that you want to avoid, that you think negatively about. And I think this is similar to what he's talking about. And they're difficult to love. And on top of that, it's not only difficult to be around those people, but the passage calls us to love them, right? To actually act on it, right? To go to that friend that always gossips and say, hey, I want you to come to our friend's gathering and I, I want to spend time with you and hang out with you, right? Even if they're annoying, even if they gossip so much and you don't like them personally. Or that churchy person who's very judgy and you say, hey, you know, hey, let's, you know, let's take your kids and my kids, let's go on a play date, let's hang out and find out their story and what they're all about and find out how you can serve them and love them. Or the boss, right? Uh, instead of thinking, oh, that boss, I hate that boss, that boss is, you know, out of control, to find out ways, how can I honor my boss? How can I serve my boss better? Or even if you're the boss, how can I honor and serve my employees? This is the type of love that God, or Jesus, is talking about here. And, and when we think about it, it's, if we're honest with ourselves, it's just as shocking as it was when Jesus spoke this 2,000 years ago. I mean, God calls us to love in this most shocking way. And the reason why is this. The reason why God calls us to love our enemies, the people that, are, that we absolutely don't want to spend time with, the ones that we look down on or that we just hate, is because the, when we love these people, when we love our enemies, those who oppress us, those who persecute us, we are representing the correct view of God the Father to everyone. Um, verse 44, 45, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God is calling us to love all people because it, it shows the true character and love 
of God the Father. You know, I think this truth, this command, this calling is so important in today's day, in today's political climate. In a place where people are calling themselves Christians and hating on certain ethnic groups or people of certain sexual preferences or genders or whatever it might be, and because of their hate towards people, the people who are being offended and the people who are around are beginning to see a picture of God, a twisted picture of God, right? This is what was going on with the Israelites, right? When the Israelites were only loving their ethnic group, the regions and the neighbors and the nations around were seeing a twisted view of God. They were seeing a God who was ethnocentric, who only loved his own people but hated everyone else. And yet, in this passage in verse 45, it says, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus says, when we love everyone, even our enemies, we're showing the world the true love of God the Father. The fact that God loves the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. God loves all people. And so the calling for us is to love in the same way. And this love is a radical love. It's a love that the world cannot understand, right? In this verse 46 through 48, it says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You see, when we love our enemies, uh, it is such a God-specific characteristic, right? It, it's not coming from us. It's not because we're so great, right? People are not like, oh, wow, you know, Pastor, Pastor Paul is so nice, so he loves enemies. No, it is so radical that it can only come from one place, and it's the love of God. Now, as I'm sharing this, you know, this, is, this love is difficult, it's radical, and even in verse 48, it says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, I think every time we hear the word perfect, we kind of shudder because we're like, we, no, we're not perfect, right? None of us are perfect. How can we possibly carry out this love to love our enemies? Even loving one enemy is, is, hard, is hard enough. Even just trying to ignore them is hard enough. But how are we to go out of our way to love our enemies? I think Jesus Christ here... Um, gives us the answer. He, he models it, and then he, he shows us the source of it, okay? And th this is how I want to close. You know, when I think about how hard this commandment is, I, I usually don't have to look too far to see the perfect example modeled in Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus, at the end of his life, when he is uh, arrested and tried and beaten and crucified, he's hanging on that cross where he's being ridiculed and mocked. This is what he says in, verse, in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 32 to 34. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, this Jesus. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. At the pinnacle, uh, at the height of his persecution, when he's being ridiculed and mocked and he's hanging on a cross, where his enemies are all there, what does he do? He carries out Matthew chapter 5. He says to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. And he prays for them. And the prayer isn't like a prayer that says, God, cast down you know, judgment on all these people. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a prayer of love. He feels compassion for them, saying, God, I know that they're in sin, but forgive them. That they would know you. This is a prayer of love at, at the peak of his persecution. And this is the model that he gives us. And he loves his enemy, the enemy that is standing right there. Not just the Romans, but the, the Jewish leaders and whoever it might be. The leaders, everyone that's standing right there, he, he loves them. You know, when we think of that image, right, one thing that we have to understand, and I think this is where the source of our love will come from, is to understand that you and I um, are only here because we first were like the soldiers. We first, we were like the religious leaders. We were first enemies of God. We were enemies of Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, we were opposed to him. And if that's not enough, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You were hostile in mind and you were doing evil deeds. You were opposed to God and his character and his works. But if that doesn't convince you, Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. For us to truly understand the depth and the width and how vast and how much he loves his enemies, we only have to look at ourselves. The fact that we were enemies of God and he loved us to die on the cross, to pray that prayer, not just for that Roman uh, centurion or the religious leaders, but to pray that prayer for us so that we might be saved. That is the source of our power, of us being able to love others because we on our own can't love the way God loves. But only when we understand that, man, I need to love this enemy of mine because God has loved me when I was his enemy. That becomes a power and that becomes a source. And my prayer and my hope is that us as a church, we would be able to love the world in a way where the world is able to see the true character and the true, genuine, everlasting, eternal, vast 
why deep love of God through the way we love those who love uh, who, those who hurt and persecute us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your love because you loved us while we were yet still sinners, when we were opposed to you, God. And so I pray that we would never take that for granted, but we would hold that dear and hold that precious truth in our hearts and that that would lead us to love those whom are considered our enemies that we would demonstrate the grace and the love and the forgiveness that you've shown to us, to the world. That the world would be able to see your true love, your eternal, uncompromising love in their life through us, Lord. So we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.